Welcome to Bitcoin Explained, the podcast with the most boring name in Bitcoin. Hey, Shors. What's up? What's so with the new we've, name? We've rebranded our podcast. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, especially if you read it correctly, Bitcoin, comma, explained, I think it's an amazing name. Apparently, I think the problem was that a lot of people have no idea what the hell a Van Weerdum Shores NATO is. Apparently, no one had any idea what Fenwarem Shosnado means or even how to pronounce it. So we decided to go for a new name. Though I think if people listen to it long enough, they'll know how to pronounce it. But I think the problem is people who are not listening don't know how to pronounce it. So from now on, we're Bitcoin explained. Why is the comma so important for you? It makes it sound more profound. So if you just say, oh, I'm going to explain Bitcoin, whereas Bitcoin explained, you know, it really says, okay, now you... You truly understand it. Very profound. So the first episode, we're just going to keep counting. So this is episode 45 of Bitcoin Explained, previously known as the Van Wyrdum NATO. And we're going to start off with the new Bitcoin Core release, Bitcoin Core 22. That's right. From now on, it's not 0.22 anymore. It's just Bitcoin Core 22, right? Yeah, highly undemocratically decided at some point to just change the numbering because people were asking, when is version one coming of Bitcoin? And we're like, yeah, we're just going to skip it because it's always bad luck when you do that. Right. So from now on, does this mean we're not in beta anymore, Shors? Is that the big announcement? No, I think it means nothing. I think it just means that we stopped having this zero prefix. Basically, Bitcoin Core changed the name for the same reasons that we did, just to avoid annoying questions and make it more clear. Is that it? I guess. I wasn't really there at the decision. It just happened and nobody wanted to undo it. So, Got it. Well, we well at, the, at the point that we're recording this, the new Bitcoin Core release has not actually been released yet. Bitcoin Core 22 has not actually been released yet. But by the time this episode is released, then maybe Bitcoin Core 22 is released as well. And otherwise, it will be released very soon, right? That's right. There's now a third release candidate out. So that means basically any day now. But at the point of recording, at least. And maybe... Like I said, maybe it's out by the time this is this episode is released. So anyways, we're going to highlight some of the improvements compared to Bitcoin Core 21, essentially, and Bitcoin Core 21.1. Was there a Bitcoin Core 21.2 as well? I don't think so. Uh, I think there's one in progress. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's one coming as well. We're going to give a short overview of the most notable changes. Yeah, exactly. So usually the like the last version digit those changes are very small they're usually bug fixes and those kind of things so they're you know the release we're talking about now is a big one but well, the they're either they're, they're either very small or they're a protocol upgrade right so in this case it's a bit more complicated because it's small fixes and taproot that go into 0.21.1 and also probably in 0.22.2 uh 21.2 so let's get to bitcoin core 22 that's what the episode is about I think the most notable change, the biggest change, I think you'll agree with that because you worked on it, so you're biased, is hardware wallet support in the GUI, right? I think that's a pretty cool change. I don't know if it's the biggest change. I'm definitely very happy with it. Yeah, so basically, if you download Bitcoin Core 22 and then also download HWI, which we talked about in episode 30 which is just a Python script that connects to all sorts of different hardware wallets using essentially using their drivers, then I think you just have to change one setting, which is to tell it where you put the HWI script. 
And then once you've done that, you just insert your hardware wallet. You say to Bitcoin Core, give me a new wallet. And it'll say, oh, do you want to use a Trezor, Ledger, whatever you just inserted? And it will just work TM like any other wallet, except that your hardware device will now show on screen, hey, do you want to approve this transaction? So that's pretty cool, I think. Right, but am I understanding you correctly that it does not work out of the box? You can't only download Bitcoin Core 22. You also need to download the HWI. Correct. Which, because which is HWI, a separate software package. Yeah, it's a Python library. And it, because it contains all the, the stuff from the hardware manufacturers and it communicates with USB, so it is potentially a can of worms. And so we don't want to put it in Bitcoin Core for everybody. Maybe one day it will be, but I think it'll be a while because just including USB drivers into Bitcoin cores sounds a bit scary. Right. So for now, it's like an add-on. Yes. But like I said, pretty easy to install. Like you download it, put it somewhere, point to it, and that's it. Hardware wallets were already supported by Bitcoin Core though, right? Indirectly, yes. You could use HWI already, but you had to use it from the command line yourself. And actually, HWI also came with a graphical tool, so you could actually use it somewhat reasonably but i think this is much easier now it's just right into the uh, in, into the bitcoin core interface yeah no one uses the command line sure so only a couple of bitcoin core developers themselves use that stuff Regular well, a surprising people. number of bitcoin core developers use the uh, graphical interface too and it's especially because coin selection is just a lot easier to do if you want to decide which coins you want to spend using a graphical interface you just click on them whereas with the command line it's it's horrible you have to copy-paste the transaction hash and the identifier. Right. So which hardware wallets are supported? Off the top of my head, whatever HWI supports. So that is the Trezor, the Ledger, the KeepKey, ColdCard. Maybe some more. Yeah, I, I was just opening the, the support matrix. There's a whole list of it. Bitbox. Okay, is that the only hardware wallet-related change in the Bitcoin Core 22? I mean, that's a big enough one, right? And I'm sure in, in next versions, there'll be some more incremental improvements, like being able to bump the fee, for example, would be nice, that sort of stuff. Multisig would be very nice if it was possible to do that directly. Yeah, and for now, I think it's just one hardware wallet per Bitcoin Core wallet, right? You can't do two out of three or that kind of no, stuff exactly. yet. Multi-signature support is not there yet. And that just as a whole kind of worms in general, right? Multi-signature support with Bitcoin Core is still not very easy. It's all possible, but it's it requires some manual work. Right. So hardware wallet integration into Bitcoin Core has been a long process, has been an incremental process. And now for the first time with Bitcoin Core 22, we have hardware wallet support in the GUI, which basically means we, for the first time, have hardware wallet support for regular users. Yeah, exactly. I think it's still marked experimental. Great. Next up, I2P. Serge, what is I2P? I don't know. There's a lot of articles on the internet that say, what is the difference between I2P and Tor? And then those articles start by saying, many people ask what the difference is between I2P and Tor. And then they proceed in some really convoluted language. But basically, you know, it is a Tor-like system that is somehow different. But the good news is that Bitcoin Core can now use it. Exactly, yeah. It's a, it's a privacy layer on top of the internet, a lot like Tor. You know, Tor uses onion routing, so messages are encrypted and routed across different users that all have a sort of en encryption step on the way, and therefore you gain privacy. ITP is similar, and the differences are pretty subtle, it seems. 
it seems that I2P has a more distributed way of mapping the network. I don't think either of us knows the details of how that works exactly, but there's some. it's more distributed than with Tor. And somehow I2P is more dedicated to... It's internal. So there's, it's, very, it's more difficult to get out of I2P, whereas in Tor, it's very easy to use the original internet in addition to dedicated darknet, or not darknet, but onion sites. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I2P is more dedicated to hidden services. So if you stay within the network, I2P is sort of specialized for that, I guess, where Tor is more usable if you want to send stuff to the regular internet to the web right that's what we've read in random google searches so we wouldn't know these appear to be the subtle differences so what does this have to do with bitcoin core well so this kind of ties back into an earlier episode so so first of all bitcoin core 22 supports that that network so if you are interested in using it you can yeah so you can now connect to the bitcoin network through i2p yeah and so what we talked about in episode 13 back when it was still called the fn weirdom shows nato what we talked about then is that Bitcoin Core added support for Tor version 3. And the other aspect we talked about then was more generally, how does Bitcoin Core tell other nodes that which nodes to consider? So there's a basically a message where you can say, hey, here's a bunch of addresses for other nodes. And what we explained in an episode is that there's now a new message that is makes it easier to announce nodes of various kinds to other nodes including to say, okay, here's a list of Tor version 3 nodes, or here's a list of IPv6 nodes, or here's a list of I2P nodes. And this mechanism is now more generic, which means that in the future, if other networks like this come about, some other anonymity network, you know, maybe Internet over the Lightning Network, who knows, it'll be much easier to add support for that because we'll have a way to gossip those, those nodes around. Right. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Maurizio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all. I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in, they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoin is like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N 
bitcoiners.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no-fluff, hard-hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on-chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative, and what's happening with the tech. My man Dylan LeClaire is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right. And him and his team are bringing you everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com. Sign up today. And if you use promo code MACRO, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, you know, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code MACRO. Do it today. Speaking of these kinds of topics, you already mentioned Tor version 3. Tor version 2 has now been fully deprecated, right? Yeah, it, been- it was essentially already the case because in the previous version of Bitcoin Core, if it started up, it would immediately switch to Tor version 3 and would just not use your Tor version 2 settings. But you could still go back if you did something manually. And now I think all that code has been stripped out because I think Tor version 2 is more or less shut down. Yeah, because remember, just... Tor is centralized in that way. Like, there's somebody out there that can say, "Okay, this thing no longer works." Right. Yeah, we've discussed this in one of the previous Bitcoin Core release episodes, I think, where the switch from Tor version two to version three was happening. Yeah, we did that in the same episode, episode thirteen. Right. Got it. These are two changes we've mentioned: hardware wallets and I2P support. You've also mentioned. At the start of this episode, there's difference between major releases and minor releases, where minor releases are usually either bug fixes or they include protocol upgrades. Now, the last minor release did include a protocol upgrade, namely Taproot, which also means that this is the first major Bitcoin Core release that has Taproot support. Yep. And we can find this Taproot support in a couple of places in this upgrade, right? Yeah, of course, the most important part is that all the Taproot consensus stuff is in here. Obviously, the activation code, the speedy trial, all that sort of stuff. If you haven't upgraded to the minor release yet, Taproot is going to activate in November. So this would be a good opportunity to actually upgrade if you want to enforce the new Taproot rules, which you should do if you want to get the maximum security that a full node promises to offer. Yeah, but the good news is that if you really, really liked version, say, 0.21.0, and you don't want to change too much, then you could just go to 0.21.1 and you'll enforce Taproot. But as we'll talk about now, I think version 22 has a few more things on top of this, the consensus enforcement. Yes. So what does Bitcoin Core 22 include Taproot-wise? Well, it includes some very rudimentary support for wallet, Taproot wallets. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're just a single public key type of wallet, you know, which doesn't make Taproot that interesting. Mm -hmm. And 
slightly more generic things where you can have one private uh, one yeah one key per taproot branch so remember in taproot you have a main key and you also have scripts that are sitting in a tree and so there's now support for those scripts in a tree however as far as i understand it those scripts can only be of the super simple type namely a public key right so so they're not very interesting yet but this is how it goes with bitcoin core we add little increments at a time Yes, we've mentioned that a couple of times. Bitcoin Core is improved slowly but surely. Every half year, there's a new release. So it's not necessarily that all the Taproot stuff comes at the same time. It's just step by step. And now the first step is to have very basic Taproot support, which essentially comes down to Taproot support for regular transactions. So none of the fancy smart contract stuff, but you can use a Taproot type of address and transaction to receive funds yeah in principle but again it's still it's not even on by default you actually have to manually make it happen so probably for version 23 you know it'll automatically do the taproot things yeah i think another way to put it short if you agree with me is that there's no actual benefit yet in using taproot in this bitcoin core release but it's possible to use it for sort of regular transactions right yeah, exactly. So you can if you really know what you're doing. And other than that, it's probably uh, useful to have it in there anyway for people who want to test things on Signet or Testnet or that sort of stuff. Because we want other developers to keep working on Taproot. Yeah, so uh, this this was basically Taproot addresses what we were discussing. A little bit deeper under the hood, you have the Taproot descriptors. Yeah, so, so a descriptor is a way to, to say I want to generate a series of addresses, basically. So instead of saying, okay, our wallet is one address, you say, okay... Our wallet starts with with the root private key, and then it does a bunch of BIP32-style derivations, and then it says, okay, give me the address number 15 or 16 or 17. And descriptors allow you to describe that. And now they also let you do that for Taproot. I think descriptors also allow you to sort of categorize your funds into specific types of funds, right? So you Mm -hmm. you can say, these are all my Taproot funds locked in taproot stuff and these are all my multisig funds like the multisig addresses and the descriptors sort of let you label these right yeah because they describe in a sort of a human readable form what your addresses are how to get to your addresses yeah you can say i have one descriptor for my segwit addresses i have one descriptor for my taproot addresses yeah yeah so now there's a taproot descriptor so that's another sort of small step in the taproot process for bitcoin core that is what the wallet has support for so you can add taproot descriptors to the wallet now but you have to do it yourself right bitcoiners i want to tell you about the texas blockchain summit put on by the texas blockchain council this conference is all about bitcoin and man their lineup is absolutely spectacular cynthia lummis hester pierce Warren Davidson, Nick Batia, Alex Gladstein, Will Cole. That's just the tip of the spear. There are so many big names going to be a part of this event. The Texas Blockchain Council is doing an absolute incredible job, and they are 100% focused on Bitcoin and self-sovereignty that comes from adopting Bitcoin. The most sovereign place in America is Texas. Austin is the capital. October 8th is the place. Go to the Texas Blockchain Summit. You can save a beautiful 25% if you use 
code BTC in all caps. That is the special code for the Bitcoin Magazine audience. Use code BTC, save 25% off your ticket. Don't miss it. This is going to be absolutely sick. Peace. Bitcoiners, let's take a break from the content. And I want to tell you about Coolbix. Coolbix is an awesome Bitcoin hardware wallet that has been around for a really long time. They are building an amazing Bitcoin wallet called the Cool Wallet Pro. The Cool Wallet Pro is state-of-the-art Bitcoin hardware wallet technology. Its form factor is like a credit card. You can put it into your wallet and it is designed to go with you on the go. So that way, even when you're on the go, you can have the benefit of a two-factor hardware wallet design when you're trying to spend your Bitcoin. So you can have your Bitcoin wallet UX on your phone and make it really easy to scan, decide what you want to do. But then you sign with a cool X, which is in your back pocket. It is tamper-proof. It is waterproof. It is flexible. It has an awesome secure element in it. And it is a really awesome way in order to have some more flexibility, yet security when you're taking your Bitcoin on the go. I personally am a fan of this idea of making Bitcoin into a medium of exchange and making it into something that people use. I know it's going to take time, but they are working on the UX for making that possible in as secure a way possible. So have some peace of mind. Check out the Cool Wallet Pro from CoolBix and... Thank you to them for sponsoring this podcast. So, hardware wallet support in the GUI, I2P support, Taproot, first uh, major release with Taproot. Oh, are we done with Taproot? Almost. The other thing is there's a little safety measure there. Well, two things. So, there's, there's a little safety measure there that you cannot add Taproot to a wallet on mainnet before it activates. Just to you know, make sure you don't uh, have people sent to your Taproot address before it activates, because then you lose all the coins. And the other thing is that wait, 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 some... wait. Why would you lose the coins? It just means you can't spend the coins, right? Oh, no. Not... If, if if you're receiving money on a Taproot address before Taproot activates, then that's anyone can spend. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah, that's a bad idea. So this is a little um, basically anti food gun measure. Got it. The other upgrade is that there's now some support for back 32m we talked about i think back 32 addresses in general and that for taproot there's a small change to it the episode 28 we talked about addresses i and remember that yeah and so to the human eye they'll look identical they start with bc1 but there's some subtle changes in the checksum that you can safely ignore but it does have to be built right that's also included in this release and also related to taproot exactly all right was that all taproot I think Info? so. Okay, yeah. great. So, yeah, hardware wallet support, I2P, Taproot. And then the fourth notable change that we're going to discuss is there's an update to test mempool accepts. Am I saying that right? That's or right. Is the, or is test mempool accept newly included? No, test mempool accept has been around. So test mempool accept is an RPC method, right? So the RPC is a way to programmatically talk to a node from maybe from a Python script or just manually. And what test mempool except does is it it takes a transaction and it says, yeah, if you were to broadcast this transaction, it would be valid. Or it would say, no, this transaction is invalid because the signature is wrong. So it's just a way to check if a transaction is correct before actually sending it. And one of the things I believe it checks against is whether the fee is high enough to even make it into your mempool. 
because your mempool might be very full and you know if it's too low it'll say no fee is not high enough mm-hmm. but one of the restrictions that comes with that and we talked about this in episode 19 package relay and, and other things one of the restrictions is that it evaluates these transactions one at a time so you might have one transaction that pays a very low fee and then the next transaction actually spends that first transaction but pays a huge fee but you won't get through because the first transaction is immediately tossed away. And so the the longer term goal that we talked about in this episode is that these transactions can be analyzed as a package in various places. So by the mempool itself and uh, in the peer-to-peer messaging protocol. And so this adds a tiny, tiny, tiny step, which is that now you can give this command multiple transactions. It's still going to evaluate them one by one. But again, this is baby steps. Yeah, if I have to jog my memory, the point here was that for some protocols like the Lightning Network, you might need to use a trick called child pays for parent, which means that you create a new transaction that has a high enough fee to essentially pay for a previous transaction. Yep. That a transaction is sort of stuck in the mempool or whatever. Well, that's where it will be stuck. And to speed it up, you create a new transaction that spends the same funds include an extra high transaction there and that's how you sort of get them both unstuck that's how you get the first transaction unstuck mm-hmm. which you sometimes actually really need to do with some you might be in a rush in a hurry to actually do that in context of protocols of the lighting network because sometimes you actually need transactions to confirm before some kind of time lock runs yeah. out and then the problem is that while this works for getting a transaction actually included in a block it doesn't necessarily work for getting a transaction into a mempool. So sometimes, am I saying this right? Sometimes you need to get a transaction unstuck, but that transaction doesn't even make it into the mempool, exactly. which means you also can't get it unstuck with child place for parents. Yeah. And then the solution there would be to have the network to broadcast packages of transactions over a network. So in the same way that a package of transactions can sort of be confirmed by a miner all at once because the miner calculates the total fee, that sort of same calculation, the total fee calculation would come to apply for what regular nodes put in the mempool. That's sort of the long-term upgrade that's been worked on. And this is a very small step in that process, right? Yeah, and, and it's for Lightning, it's a way to reduce fees, right? Because right now when you, well, to reduce fees in some cases. So right now with Lightning, you have to pre-sign a transaction, which means you have to decide in advance what the fee is going to be for that transaction. And so these, these fees have to be taking some sort of worst case scenario into account. Whereas with this change, eventually the, the hope is that you just set no fee on it on the uh, backup transaction that you have in in Lightning and you just send it on the blockchain and then whoever really needs this transaction will just pay the extra fee that is needed right then as a child pays for parent. So it's a useful feature, but yeah, there's some problems with uh, Relay when the mempool is very full. So yeah. That makes sense. So this test mempool accept is a small step in improving that process. Yep. Another another incremental improvement. Exactly. All right. So one more to go, Shors. Oh, maybe two, actually. I have some some other in mind. But one small one is add multi-sig address. I think we talked about that. Well, basically, the multi-signature support inside the RPC. You can now use it for 20 public keys instead of 16, which is something that SegWit supports. 
right this is for bitcoin core users that want to receive a transaction right now this is limited to you can create a multi-sig but it's limited to 16 public keys is that right yeah and i think the reason is that the legacy addresses could only do 16 p2sh and segwit can do 20 right uh, so but it the bitcoin core couldn't support it yet right so now bitcoin core users can receive transactions on 20 key multi-sigs yeah it's not a it's not a consensus change it's none of the rules change it's just that the bitcoin core wallet can now do a little bit more uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was always possible according to the consensus rules, but not according to Bitcoin Core yet until now. Yeah. So another thing we can mention that is, I think, fun is support for NAT PMP. Basically, when you have a router, like if you're running a node at home and you usually have a router that will cause your node to not listen to anything else, you know, your node can connect outbound, but other nodes can't connect to you because they, they can't see you. And the way you solve that is by opening a port on the router, forwarding that port to your node, which you can do manually. Like you go to, I don't know, 192.168.02, and then you log in and you say port forwarding, and you say send port 8333 to this device that runs my node. But nobody wants to do that. So there are libraries that are often used by games and by programs like BitTorrent and all these things that will do it for you automatically. That will just, from your computer, ping your router and say, please route this port to me. And that was done using UPnP, but apparently that's very insecure and very bad. So it was turned off by default in Bitcoin Core, so nobody was using it. And now there's there's another library called NetBNP that apparently is a bit safer, a bit easier, and that's now added. So if you open Bitcoin Core in the settings, in the GUI, there's a button that says NetPMP. I think you can click on it and it'll try and then it'll try to open the the port on the router to to listen. I don't know if it gives any useful feedback if it doesn't work. I haven't tried it. It doesn't I don't think it works on my router. Great. And then other than that, what we haven't mentioned, of course, every Bitcoin Core upgrade has a ton of smaller improvements, bug fixes, these kinds of things. But I think we agree that these were what we've mentioned now were the six most notable changes yeah there's there's one uh, meta change i think we should we forgot to mention which is not inside the build itself is that the deterministic builds for this release are being made using geeks for the first time right yeah i do think we've mentioned that but maybe you can explain real quick what that is i think we talked about uh, reproducibility in an earlier episode why open source matters episode 21 we talked about like, it's important for bitcoin core to be open source but also that the thing you're downloading from bitcoincore.org is actually related to that source that's out there. Because we could just say, hey, look at this beautiful source code and then give you some binary that's just ransomware. And we, we spent the whole episode 21 explaining how to prevent that. And Geeks, G-U-I-X, is a new project, relatively new, that makes that process of verifiability better. And we're now using that for the release. Great. Yeah, I think that's basically it. Yeah, so the main changes were hardware wallet support in the GUI, I2P support, first release to have taproot, which includes receiving very basic taproot transactions. Test mempool accept was updated as an incremental step towards package relay. I mean, I, w- I don't even know if you want to call it the main changes. It's the changes we discussed and that are maybe the most visible and, and makes sense, but I can list a few other things. There's a coin stat index 
which has been on my to-do list for a long time to see. UTXO snapshots. We talked about UTXO snapshots, I think, another episode. And just another little piece of progress in there. Yeah, hundreds of things. Extended multi-support is what I forgot to mention. Net PMP. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's going to be available in a store near you. Oh, no, it's free. Oh, even better. All right. Uh, I think that's all, right? Yeah, that's that's it for me, Josh. Okay, then. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin Explained, formerly known as the Van Weerdum Shores NATO. Mm-hmm.